0: Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of my interview with Bo Ryan concerning his new book titled Brilliance in the Building. Bo talks about all things PLC in this with this book that covers everything and then offers resources to those who want to employ the strategies. And that is just good leadership. He doesn't expect people just to go out and do things. He provides them the ability to do so through resources. Look, episode one was a fantastic conversation that ended with us talking about his first chapter in his book. If you haven't heard that episode, you need to go back and listen to it because you're really gonna get a lay of the land. But moving forward, we're gonna kick right off with chapter two in his book, A Culture of Collaboration. Then we're gonna move on to culture of learning and then effective instruction and then continuous Improvement. There are a ton of things that Bo and I talk about that are going to be helpful to you as a leader, whether you're leading a school or whether you're leading a classroom. He bases everything on the idea of good instruction starts with collaborative teams. And one of his chapters outlines a whole system for improved teaching and learning. You know, he goes into a lot of tight, loose leadership situations where It allows teachers to place the students where they're needed in a way that teachers can reach them. That's powerful leadership, right there. He also talks a lot about being creative to find solutions so that you can get to what's best for students. Time is always an issue, but he mentions a really, really good strategy he used to make sure he gets around that. We even broke into a little bit of a conversation about grades versus standards based grading. You know, it's critical to always always base everything on mastery of the standard if you really want to talk about teaching, learning and understanding. Finally, I just have to say you you already know if you listen to the first episode, but Bo is certainly passionate about everything he does, but he really hits home on the idea that it is critical to constantly be a learner, believe in your teachers, and continually improve. Now, enough from me, and let's hear Bo pick up with Chapter
1: 2. Constantly being a learner and believing in your people in the school to run that PD. There's going to be a lot you're going to have to do, and some people, like, Uh, sometimes they think it's repetitive to constantly talk about what high-performing teams look at look like but man plc process is really focused on teams but constantly trying to get better and that's the old coach in us you know what I mean just constantly trying to get better like you're just trying to get the team better and it's that mentality I think of like uh not not complaining let's just all right what do we have to do next?
0: Thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's
1: get to getting better. The second chapter is how to create a culture of collaboration, which I think is really important, and finding teams to meet, and then you may, it walks you through some steps. When I was a principal in Cromwell, one of the things we, we did was we tried to find more time because sometimes it's easy. Like a district will give you half days or a district will give you time. In Cromwell, we had to switch it up a little bit. So we brought in Wesleyan football players who came in and we were, they were able to cover recess. So we found 30. We didn't put teachers out there. We went to recess before lunch. The teachers were able to meet in teams for 20 minutes. So we were able to find ways with Wesleyan football then the other thing dr jones we did was we figured out that was uh, so we were three through five schools the k through two school the buses rotated so the first 20 minutes of a day was really wasted time with teachers in the hallway so we would have all the kids go to the gym we had 21 cones set up kids would sit in 21 lines we'd have some type of assembly led by me in order to give the teachers 20 minutes of collaboration time focused on a task that they have to give so creating a culture of collaboration we talk about one maximizing time Two ensuring the success of teams, and then three coaching the teams up. But you can't ensure the success of teams without a great like product or a great that they can use because they're not just going to go do it. They're not going to say, "Hey, let's create this." And then the third chapter, I get into a culture of learning, where really um, the importance of learning blocks, looking at periods of time. Because if a kid's failing, and I'm in an urban school, you don't know until the report card, or you don't know until some testing that's going on. So for us, we need to look at Periods of time and see, okay, this two week span or this four week. And then you may look at, well, this is the next learning unit six weeks, but we have vacation and then we have some days. So it's looking at the curriculum, the district calendar, your own knowledge as teachers. And teachers have the ability to create those plans. But the learning block process is about creating a plan with your collaborative team, creating a common assessment with your team, the same type of thing that you're gonna give Mr. Jones, that I'm giving, and then we're gonna meet in the data team and go back over that. The fourth chapter is taking that information from the collaborative team. Yep. Let me,
0: I just got to, I just got to cut in
1: on you. You got got Uh, me fired up, man. No, no,
0: you're flying. You're flying. Just one of the things those, cause, cause you're handing out a class right here. You're like teaching everybody that that's listening. One of the things that really carried through these three culture builders is the idea of, do you care enough to take it? And the creativity, I just needed to highlight that for everybody listening, because that got me fired up. When you first said that, you said, yeah, of course, everybody cares, right? That's why they're in education. But do you care enough to take action? Talking about the different, you know, getting into neighborhoods and different ways to reach students. But the other piece of that was the whole idea of being creative. Too often, it's too to say, we can't do that because, instead of saying, we're going to do this. So what do we need to do to get it done? And people miss that. And I just, you're giving great examples of ways to be creative, to pull back time, to pull in community members and to make everybody know that school's a place that they can succeed and putting everybody on that same level. Like I can't go, I, you know, you can't have Chris Jones as a teacher and for English one. And then another kid have Bo Ryan for a teacher for English one and doing two different things because it's not like experiences. Yeah. So, so somebody's losing out there. Because everybody knows, you know, oh, I wanted that teacher. But you're just bringing up some really great stuff. I just wanted to grab you before you went on for more. So thanks for this. Keep going, man. Stay fired up.
1: Yeah, so, so one of the things that I think is important, teacher collaboration before instruction, because you have to collaborate and be doing those things. So a, I'm also working pretty cool for Marzano. I just got hired associates with Dr. Robert Marzano. One of the top things that he talks about The most important things you can have is a guaranteed and viable curriculum. So that means if you and I are both ELA teachers and Judy Wilson has twins and they're in both of our classes, they should be getting the same instruction that is guaranteed that they get grade level instruction. It's viable that we can teach it over the time. And that's where the teams figure that out together. So the guaranteed and viable curriculum, and that's what we plan with the learning block, which is PLC question one, what do you want students to learn? So we do that, and we have the documents in the book to be able to do that. So good instruction starts with collaborative teams. To me, it's the stuff we learned in coaching. Chris Jones started for us here when he was a sophomore, played some, but he got coached by some good people, and he got better. I know you were a great wrestler, too. If you didn't have other people coaching and supporting you, maybe you wouldn't have got to where you got. But for me, it's the collaboration that starts and gets people going because they also have discussions about, for us, one of the big things is how much literacy is huge. So, like, how can we teach this stuff that aligns to the learning target? How can we make sure kids are reading, writing, and discussing at length during our block? And then they have those discussions, but it's all around the learning target. So, for me, the culture of high quality instruction with more time and support is chapter four. And then I have part of it. Let me just get to this. One of the pieces that, first, let me go back to chapter three. It goes, chapter three is all about learning. And it really, I mean, it walks you through. Like one, reading outcome and norm review. It's funny because the folks from Solution Tree, when I gave me this idea, because Dr. Jones, I don't know if I told you, I wrote another book, sent it in. I wrote the whole thing. This lady's amazing, man. She's like, yeah, this ain't working. This is what I need you to do. You're in urban schools. I've seen what you've done. You've got to create a system where people don't have to go to Solution Tree PD. They may be mad at you, but you'll have it. So chapter three is really hits on that point. Step one, reading outcome and norm review. Step two in the learning block plan, look at priority standards. Step three, take the learning targets. Step four, create learning scales with what is approaching, what is mastery. And that stuff aligns right with your report card. Step four is five is pacing. And step six is discussing grade level assignments, making sure that kids are having access to grade level. And is this assignment grade level? One of those there was research that I did in the book about these folks doing all these studies of middle school and the amount of on grade level assignments that kids were doing in classes was it was like how many kids are writing and we talk a lot about nonfiction writing which Doug Reeves puts a lot of research on then we talked there's a whole thing on creating common assessments and it walks you through how to create it which is also just really good practice but then in here we have a DOK level you can look at then we have the end of block data team and we have a greeting and outcome we look at the review the priority standards chart to indicate their strengths and then create a plan for those kids not learning and a plan for those kids who are learning. So then it goes to chapter four. Imagine doing all that if you're a brand new teacher and you're with someone or imagine being a veteran teacher, it never ends. Like if you're a veteran teacher, it never ends. And then a culture of high quality instruction with more time and support. So we take that form we just created and create standards walls in classrooms. So now every classroom has something like this. The level of instruction, then if they use it, teachers, we have as a tool, we have teacher clarity, learning targets, success criteria, formative assessment and feedback, and student involvement and assessment product. All those strategies have such a, a tremendous effect size, it'll make a huge impact on kids. So that's a big part there. Then we get uh, the RTI process in urban schools that may be different than RTI processes in other schools, Like we don't have like certified interventionists. So we have to create systems and keep trying to get better and then, create, then trying to, to do it when you have significant absences that's hitting this country, that's hitting us, is how can we addu- adjust and adapt? So we're always looking how to do it. And in the book, I have a template that can walk urban schools to look at their situation and be able to get more time and support in a wind block or a flex block or but how they can do it with the resources and the people that they have. Then the last book is Culture of Continuous Improvement, how to take that process and constantly get better. And how the learning block process for teachers is aligned to the national professional development standards, and how doing that stuff every day will make everyone better.
0: Wow, <laughs> that's a lot, all in one book. And uh, you know, yeah, it's and the resources to go with it. That's fantastic. You know, something you said. Well, a lot of what you said stuck out to me. But one of the things I want to go back to is veteran teachers get better when they're in the process. I mean, I couldn't imagine being a brand new teacher. Stepping into a system like this with a veteran teacher that's there to walk me through. One of the most powerful things that I've seen for teachers is when they take on a student teacher. And one of the reasons for that is because they're taking on this student teacher, they're working with the student teacher, and they start to reflect on and justify why they do the things they do. So now it becomes a very thoughtful process instead of, you know, like it ha- hey, it happens to every teacher. It's happened to me at different times where you kind of go through the motions a little bit because you got this. You could fall out of bed and teach it, yeah. you know, or do that thing. But taking a student teacher on makes them think about it. And it just makes me think that veteran teachers going through this process really makes them thoughtful about it and makes them more efficient with it. And so it becomes a stronger process by default, with is those little tweaks as they go along.
1: Yeah, definitely. And then they constantly have to do it, know that they have to turn it in and constantly just talk about. I mean, what they'll do, though, is they'll start getting better at the process. So if you and I are doing this and it's now eight years, I mean, you interviewed two of our ELA team members before on the show and they could tell you like they get better at it. So they may have 30 minutes. They may do it in 15. Time is not really we want them to discuss and but even if they' they've been doing it for 11 years, they got different kids. they're trying to figure it out through the curriculum. They're constantly talking up the priority standards. the time may change because how long they need to, for this unit. So they have the ability to do all that stuff in teams. Then we have a block called Win or college Prep, we call it here, where basically it's a 30 minute block, five days a week, one day is advisory. That's when the, the kids with IEPs, if it's pullout services, will do the pull out. So they're in classrooms, which I think is the key. You're not getting pulled from grade-level priority instruction. They're there, and then during this 30-minute block, they go get their services. We have some kids that will go to Peace Builders, which for us is like a leadership class for some kids who need some behavior support. Then we have interventions who need foundational skills in reading and math, and we're fine-tuning that all the time. Today, I just met with the district math leader because we're trying to figure out ways when we only have like one interventionist in a class, how we can support that in reading for us. It's volume reading and it's some grade level stuff that we're doing. So uh, really fine putting that block of time and then figuring out how, but that's all run by teachers meeting teams and place kids wherever they need. It's all done by staff. The system was created by me, but then they kind of take it and they have the ability. So the tight practices kids are going to have extra, we're going to guarantee every kid is going to have more time and support in this school. The loose practice is the teachers have the ability to place kids wherever they want that's awesome
0: and you know the empowerment behind that whenever i talk about empowering people and letting them do things that tight loose leadership is key and just to think that you know you say hey every student's going to get what they need and then the teachers can figure out how they deliver that that's so empowering and really shows that you want to talk about building teacher efficacy That really does it. You talk about the wind block, which I don't know if it's the same where you are, but here in Massachusetts, we call it the what I need block. And a lot of schools have that flex block where, you know, like the Vikings have the Viking block and people get creative with what they do, but it's basically the same type of thing. Something we've done in, in the school that I lead, we used to have an RTI class. That students were put into, but we found it wasn't fitting the needs of RTI because it was, a, it was a permanent placement in the class for students coming in into ninth grade. So now with the system of MTSS, the multi-tiered systems of support, we have MTSS seminars, we call them, where we have a teacher out of a department teaching that class, that seminar, one every block during the day. So what we can do is we can be flexible, pull those students out to get them what they need out of one of their electives or out of a regular seminar that they're in, which is a fancy name for study hall because we're not supposed to do that. But then they can slide in and out and they don't lose anything in their regular core class where they're trying to get, get some help. Awesome.
1: That's exactly kind of what we do. We have that 30-minute block. It's different for grades 6, 7, and 8. We have all the instruction. So some of the kids will go back to their class. Like, if and, and they get an extra, which we call tier two, they get that extra support from the teacher, but it's not an extra prep for the teachers. The teachers are pulling small groups. They may review the mini lesson. They're giving them more time and support based on what they're doing in class. And then the kids that go who need the foundational work, we're giving them more reading for literacy. We're giving them math work and math. And we just figured we met with the district math coach and he's helping us even create a better, but it's all foundational skills that align with, what they're doing in the classroom. For me, I've been doing literacy for a long time. It's really when I was an elementary principal studying the works of Richard Allington and the volume reading stuff that he taught, and that really helped change that school. And so we're constantly, for us, it's volume reading if you get pulled, and also some grade-level text read-alouds we start with. So we ask high-level questions to the kids in intervention and get them thinking at a high level. And then we give them more, just a lot more reading during that aligns with what they're doing in class In math. We're working on the foundational work based on uh, what they're doing. And but those teachers are collaborating. They're part of an intervention team. Our intervention team called associate instructors. So we're blessed. We have people with college degrees, kind of like you and I, when we left school, we didn't know what we were going to do. We hire those kids and get them going and then really teach them how to work with kids. So we... I'm able to find those folks. My work with Marzano, I got that position because we use a lot of the art and science of teaching. So we use a lot with them so they can understand like basic teaching practices. We hired them because they're great kids. We hired them because they like students. We hired them because they're great teammates. And now we go. In the past, I messed up. We brought in veteran people who came in and, you know, maybe taught ELA or maybe taught math for years. They didn't have the same commitment to these kids as these pe- these young AIs have now. So that's a mistake we had.
0: That is fantastic. That is an idea I never even thought of. You can, you know, when we talk about the teacher pipeline crisis, you talk about anything, boy, to, to pair up with some colleges and to say, hey, we're running this program and to be able to bring people back in to work with students. That's a brilliant idea. Well, so
1: that one is also just us. It's an associate instructor. That's a, a correct position. So it's not like we'll find those folks. But we have like six of them now, and they help cover classes when teachers are at. The challenge is, like, I don't know about other districts, but we are—we're struggling sometimes with staff coming in. So we've dual trained both. We made our intervention for math and reading kind of similar. They know, and we train both of them so they can, whoever has to cover classes, we, we still can give those kids who need it the most those foundational skills that they need to be successful in their class right now. That's awesome. But you have to hire certain people that, that will do that. We've hired some folks who are veteran people, and they, and they just weren't able to connect with our kids. They weren't able to connect with other with teammates.
0: Yeah, that's, it's so important. Again, it's about the person you're bringing in the door, right? You've got to make sure you have that right person on board if you're going to be able to do the work like this. Yeah, no question. Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So my question is, have you checked out the book Seeing to Lead yet? It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. Full of strategies and resources, Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal by employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D dot com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader. Seeingtolead.com. So, you know, the whole idea of your high quality learning and your culture of continuous improvement got me to thinking because if you're looking at the instruction that's going on and the learning and the continuous improvement, you talk about assessment. You have to talk about assessment. That's part of it. And I, I know earlier you talked about quicker assessments that are closer together with good feedback. I, I'm dying to have this conversation with you a little bit. Grades versus standards-based for assessment. What are your thoughts on that?
1: So we went to, uh, uh, early on, we were numbers for grades. And we were giving grades. And then the problem was, we got some kids that may miss some assignments. All those kids were failing. And then what happened was those, the kids that were failing was, it was the kids' fault. There was no accountability on it. It was hard to create interventions for kids that that we were just making up assignments. We weren't really teaching them skills that they needed to be successful in the class tomorrow. So I put in, we, I read a lot of Marzano stuff. I watched his stuff and I put in standard-based grading without bringing in a presenter. And we did it like with me and we put that in and then it aligns to our learning block process. So you and I, if we're creating and studying the standards and saying, okay, this is what mastery looks like. And you and I agree, then there's no discrepancy in the grade. But then if the kid needs extra time and support, everything is based on mastery of the standard. And that's what Ken Williams talks about in his book, Ruthless Equity. Everything that matters is if you want an equity action step, try to get kids to grade level standard. But we have to be absolutely clear what the standard is. So we have mastery of standard. We have exceeding standard. We have approaching standard. And then still developing. And then we added a piece called IE. Those are the kids that are just not doing anything. And we really may want to find those kids. Those are the kids that are in intervention. But the problem we also had is this process is constantly learning. Still development became like a, like if a kid was still developing. That kid's in the game. He doesn't really need to get pulled for intervention. So we had to look at how we did that, and that's why we went to IE. So there's a lot of things that went on. The number one thing was we're failing too many kids.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of conversations around that, but the whole idea of how many kids are failing, and, you know – Really, like, honestly, for myself, I struggle with that as a leader. We get ninth graders that come in and, you know, all too often, it's easy to point the finger at the grade below. Everybody does it all the way from second grade to 12th. Well, if the grade below me was doing their job, they wouldn't be struggling as much. But I struggle with that because kids come in ninth grade and, boy, if you get behind the eight ball as a ninth grader, and let's be honest, ninth graders are just trying to kind of find their way, not really getting all that crazy connected to school. So they they have that struggle. And now they're getting more homework. They're having more difficult subject matter being taught in the classes. It's more specific than what you normally get at the middle school level. If we could figure out a way to to not have all these students fail, because that's a mark. And that, you know, all too often that puts them behind the eight ball. And then, you know, that self-talk kicks in, that negativity kicks in. And then I hate to say this, but teachers then start to label these kids. No question. So if we could figure out a way around, that would be fantastic. All around a number and a letter that three different people could look at and say it means three different
1: things. Yeah. Yeah. The standard-based grading has helped because it was part of what we were doing. You know what I mean? It's part of like the standards wall that we put in classroom It's part of the plan that ELA and math teachers are creating. And then one way we started getting rid of like blaming all the other grades is we went to a lot of vertical team meetings. And we have, so we're able to get grade eight, grade seven, grade six, and have those conversations. And then, like, grade six can tell grade seven, you make sure this is something you work with the kids on. And two years ago, when we came back from the pandemic, we actually created a plan where grade six gave grade seven all the standards that maybe during that pandemic, these kids did not master, and some assessments. And then grade seven started the year. We had a, what we call Flash 15. We did 15 of uh, behavior, looking at behavior, behaviors creating norms in classrooms, creating relationships, and then also looking at those priority standards that those kids, because of the pandemic, the three biggest ones that we have to hit before it was so grade eight, did grade seven for the first 15, and it was a way of giving kids something to be successful and a way of looking at the standards. You couldn't have done that with, with a numerical system. It's not as easy, and our staff knows that type of stuff. So
0: Yeah, and one of the most powerful things that I ever did at a school before I got to this one were those vertical team meetings Yeah, where we actually sat with the middle school teams and teachers, with the high school teachers. And it was interesting to listen to them, talk to each other and say, oh, well, we cover this. They're like, you you cover that? Or you don't cover that? What? Just that knowledge coming to the front so that people could actually have honest conversations instead of going on rumors and things like that. Yep. But hey, so we've been talking quite a while. We went through your book. And again, I have to say, you know, Those pieces that you're talking about, that's like I said before, that's like the first two thirds of the book. And then that last third is just chock full of resources that I was looking at. I got to say, I'm going to be using some of those. Awesome. But um, it's really good stuff. I ask everybody that comes on the podcast two questions. And so I'm, I'm dying to hear some of these answers from you. So the first one is if you weren't an education, an educational leader, who, not what would you be? Who would I be? Yeah.
1: I don't want to be anyone else, to be honest with you. Like, to me, I'm in the greatest profession ever created. So I don't know who I would want. You know, I would maybe my mom, who was a nurse and worked with a lot of people and helped people and constantly worked and supported. Maybe my youngest sister, who's you knew when she was crazy and wild, but she's a social worker. And actually, a kid was on the news the other day that was able to, she was able to help this kid get adopted through years of neglect and that type of stuff. So it would be a nurse or a social or something where you help people and you support people. Awesome. So the last one is really important to all the listeners
0: after all of our talk about, you know, the great information you have in the book and all the information you were given to us before that. But what's one piece of advice? What's the most important piece of advice you would give to all leaders and teachers as they work to better support,
1: engage, and empower those they teach and or lead? one of the things that uh, the number one thing is keep being a learner, support, engage, and empower. One of the things I'm proud about, so we've been at this school, this is our 11th year. I think we've had 35 people move up the ladder, parents to associate instructor, teacher, and then we had 12 people do their 092s here. So for us, it's creating a system of learning where if you can see behind me, these are all the books that the teachers, uh, if they need it. So if I'm taking teen class and I'm a first-year teacher and I need a resource, they come down and they have it. We also work with, we have Avante for staff. We have Global PD from Solution Tree. So anything that teachers need, they can have it. Creating that time for collaboration helps teachers present. We just had what we call an academic fair where we went into classrooms. So the after-school staff meeting was, we're going into classroom, let's go into grade six. And products of team meetings were left out so they could see Wow, that's what you did with the comp. And they could also see what's in classrooms. And some teachers actually had like mini presentations, but it was a way of going around the school, seeing products from team meetings that they created. So wow, we can do a little better here, seeing anchor charts in rooms or having quick presence. So it was all run by teacher teams. We also do instructional rounds a lot, which I think it's in the book. I think it's important to go in classrooms. And so one thing for leaders, I think constantly being a learner and believing in your people in the school to run that PD, there's going to be a lot you're going to have to do. And some people like, sometimes they think it's repetitive to constantly talk about what high performing teams look at, look like, but man, the PLC process is really focused on teams, but constantly trying to get better. And that's the old coach in us, you know what I mean? It's constantly trying to get better. Like you're just trying to get the team better. And it's that mentality, I think, of like not complaining. Let's just, all right, what do we have to do next?
0: That That's great advice. All three of those, the idea of constantly being a learner, believing in your teachers. I, boy, I have found out that when you believe in your teachers and empower them, you're amazed by what they can do. Yeah. Be, they just take it and run with it. We, had, we were doing PD, and uh, it's funny because professional development, this is a couple of years ago with my school. I had it mapped out what I was going to do. And I believe that the experts are in the building. Just like you say, the brilliance in the building, the brilliance are your teachers where they were going to teach PD. And so the first one, I didn't do a good job of it empowering. I pretty much scripted what they were going to teach and asked teachers who wanted to go and teach that. And I tapped some teachers. And then I got feedback because they f- filled out surveys. I got feedback from the rest of the staff on what that PD was like and being needing to constantly learn. I took that feedback and adjusted it and a full year before I thought they'd be able to do it. RPD was an in-house conference. I asked teachers who wanted to present on what and what they felt confident. And I got flooded with responses where basically I just had to get out of the way and figure out the schedule. But we ran a conference. They submitted blurbs of what their session was about. And teachers went to whatever one they wanted to throughout the course of the day. And that way... All the teachers, the presenters got to go to other sessions and things like that. So that whole idea is good. Fantastic. I love it. The continuous improvement. I mean, that's on point, right? Because if you think, and I always say, it's not about, you don't have to continuously improve because you're not good. Just think about where you are. If you improve just that 1%,
1: that 2%, think of how much better you can be. Yeah, no question. You don't think LeBron James and Kobe Bryant don't? Right. Uh, Right. 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 I mean, you know, Michael Jordan, those guys, man, they're constantly working to try to get better. It's funny.
0: And I'm going to bring your dad into this because your
1: dad coached both of us
0: at high school, like huge part of my life, big role in my life in who I am today. And there's a word I never heard your dad say whenever he talked to us as athletes or was coaching us up. He would always say, that's good. It's not great. it's good. I never heard him (laughs) say something was great because it was always like there was that next step to take. Yeah, you're doing a good job, but don't you rest. You take another step forward.
1: Yeah, no question. Yeah. You know, he's one that the circuits we used to do, he studied that like in, in Bridgeport and learned and then took it. And then people went away from that. That's the training now, the stuff we're doing. You know what I mean? That's, you know, so he took that from learning from a lot of different folks. You know, and we did it at Platt, you know, it's really now like that's the best kind of training that they're doing. Like it's constant. You know, you're not sitting around as much.
0: Yeah, you can you can always learn. So but hey, Bo, I hooking back up with you, talking to you again. This is this has been fantastic. As it was coming up, I was getting all excited about, oh, man, I get to talk to Bo. I get to talk to Bo. You are doing fantastic work. Seriously, I've been kind of looking and listening from the sidelines and from the shadows a little bit, but you're doing some great stuff and you're impacting lives in such a way that is fantastic for a lot of people. You're going to, you're changing lives, man.
1: Thanks, man. Appreciate that. That's awesome. Same to you. Keep up the great work. I'm proud of you, brother. <laughs> Thanks. Same to
0: you. I'm proud of you every time I hear your name. Look, people are going to want to hear about the PLC stuff, and I'm going to tell them to buy your book because it's there, but it's not quite as good as, as talking to you. So if they want to reach out to you, what's
1: the best way they can get in touch with you? They can text me. <laughs> 8-6- 860-655-3748. Or my email is bryan at org. That's awesome. I'm, I can't imagine people not wanting
0: to get in touch with you. Look, this has been even better than I thought it w- was going to be. And I can't wait
1: to talk to you again. So thank you very much for being on. This has been fantastic. Let's get something going again, man. This is great. Awesome. Maybe next time we meet at Ted's restaurant, we get a steamed cheeseburger. There, I was just going <laughs> to say the steamed cheeseburgers are awesome. I'll have to let well, you know when I'm in the area. We'll get all together. All right, let's go down. We'll have we'll engage with a steamed cheeseburger. Yeah, I'll there you go. I'll you to, let, to lead me. In. And I will support you in making sure we get enough eating. Yeah, we'll give enough napkins to support, but I love it, man. <laughs> Keep up the great work. I'm proud of you, brother. All right, you too. Thank you.
0: Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Seeing to Lead podcast. If you would like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at drcsjones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast today, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Also, one last thing. Have you had a chance to pick up my latest five-star rated book yet? Grab your copy of Seeing to Lead anywhere you buy books or at seeingtolead.com. That's dot com, where you can learn more and continue to improve. Now go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, Check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com/b to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com/be